Father, thank you for this day and for this precious word that you've placed in my heart for your children. Thank you for the anointing that breaks every yoke and for your word, which is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we just ask that you touch hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn over to Luke chapter 2. Always around Christmas, I I love to go to Luke. <coughs> Matthew uh, Matthew speaks well, also, but Luke is special to me in the second chapter. And so, I just want to focus right there today. This Christmas time, Christmas is really right around the corner now. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve, and uh, I hope that everyone has done all their running and stressing and fetching and getting and and uh, will enter into a place of rest. You know, with God, a place of rest and, you know, you can work from a position of rest in Christ. People think of rest as like, you know, the world thinks of it as getting to a place where they finally don't have to do anything. They can just sit down in their easy chair. And let me tell you, that's when you die. <laughs> that's when people get sick. The rest that we're talking about is resting from dead works. Dead works meaning works trying to earn your own salvation. Position of rest is a position of Complete hope and trust and confidence in a good God who loves you. And if you put Him first, give Him the first fruits of you, of your time, of your resources, of your love and affection and everything. Consult Him first in everything. And then just be confident that He is going to put you where you need to be when you need to be there. Amen? That's, that's one of the hardest things, I think, for Christians to understand. But it's very, very important to a successful and peaceful Christian life. I just want to begin reading in Luke chapter 2. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It's the English version in English. And so... <laughs> I want to um, just start with the first verse. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So Mary and David went from Nazareth to Bethlehem because this governor, Caesar Augustus, he called for a census. It had never happened. And all of a sudden it did. Wow. What a great... <laughs> I just saw something. 
I was just talking about something before I started the message about God's rest and working from a position of rest and putting him first and trusting that he's going to take care of you. He's going to put you where you need to be when you need to be there. Look at this. David and Mary had no plans to go to Bethlehem. But the prophecy, Joseph, (laughs) sorry, David, Joseph was of the line of David, and it was prophesied that the Messiah would come from the line of David. And he would come from Bethlehem. They hadn't been praying and struggling and trying to figure out how... They knew. Okay, listen. They knew before Jesus was born who he was, didn't they? They knew the prophecies, didn't they? But they weren't trying to get to Bethlehem. They were trusting God with whatever. God put them in Bethlehem. And I think it's only fair to note... Um, during this time in which we live, and so many weird, weird doctrines out there, teachings about the church, about Jesus, and they're really just demonic. But I want to point out to you that these were law-abiding parents that Jesus had. We know that Jesus' father is God, but his, his, his earthly father... These were law-abiding people. They weren't, they weren't uh, avoiding religious persecution. They weren't running away from Nazareth, as some people have tried to portray. Thank God that they didn't have a wall around Bethlehem. Right. <laughs> no, they were obeying the law to go to Bethlehem. They... He, Joseph had a job. He had a good job at home. His wife was pregnant. He wasn't trying to leave to go to Bethlehem. He went there to be an obedient citizen. Amen. And they stayed in their country. Amen. <laughs> I just thought that was worthy of noting. Let's read on. Where was I? The sixth verse? Yeah. So he went there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Verse six. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Well... That's interesting. We have uh, we have different ideas of the the manger scene. Obviously, we have one in our front yard. We love it, but it was probably a, a cave, uh, you know, where they kept animals, and the manger was probably not made of wood. It was probably hewn out of the stone, out of the rock in the cave, and it was just a trough to feed the animals in. And that's what they laid him in. Not very, not very uh, elaborate or exotic, not too fancy. <laughs> no room at the end. But, you know, I think even though 
this is the God of all creation and they didn't have any room for him. I, I, I think God was, I think the father was fine with this. A matter of fact, I think he wouldn't have had it any other way. You know, to set aside and bypass all the arrogance and the, the ideology of man and, and things and, and uh, wrong-mindedness. Besides, <clears throat> no matter where they could have gotten a room, it wouldn't have compared to the place he just left. <laughs> Amen. I think that's worthy of note. <laughs> and he stepped down from his throne and came here for us. I want to look on verse 8, I think we're at. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. A peace, goodwill toward men is what the King James says, which is better. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. These shepherds were more than likely the, the shepherds tending to the sheep that they were supplying as lambs for sacrifices in the temple um, during those times. There were lots of sacrifices daily in the temple and they had to, there were special requirements for the lambs that were sacrificed. It was a big deal and it was a big business. And these were probably shepherds that were raising up as well as stock for their own families and for for financial gain, but also for the ones for to be sold as as sacrifices. So here they are, have, being used to the religious traditions of man, but now they're being invited to greet the real Lamb of God. Amen. The Lamb of God, not only who would be a sacrificial symbolic offering to temporarily cover sins, but the real Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. I think it's interesting that God did it that way. And everyone had been waiting for a long time for this event to happen in the Jewish culture. They had been looking forward to this Messiah for a very long time. And it's the greatest event that had ever taken place in human history since the fall of man. We were stuck until this, 
until this thing was to happen, which they were all waiting for. But the announcement didn't come to the, the castles or the, the great palaces or to the lords of the day. It came to humble shepherds. And I think it's important, once again, to recognize that God does everything for a purpose. And he wants us to know that the Lord is willing and comes to anyone with a humble heart to receive him. Amen. He is no respecter of persons. The ground is all level at the foot of the cross. No one better than anyone else. Matter of fact, quite the opposite, I think. The last shall be first. Amen. All the people of the... of that time had been waiting, like I said, for... For many, many years for the Messiah. But they were expecting something different than what they got. They wanted a, a political as well as a physical change to their situation. They wanted someone that would come in and, and be seated as king and, and raise up an army and, and defeat the, uh, the Romans who they were in bondage to at the time had been taken over and all the things that uh, they thought and they were looking for is not what Jesus came to do at that time. Jesus was setting up a spiritual kingdom. While he did provide physical healing, he was setting up a, a spiritual kingdom and his work is greater than anyone could even imagine or even believe for. Because all they could see was in the natural. But this, this king was coming to pay the price for sin. And open the door, the way for peace with God once again. And a new heart for all eternity. For all those who would receive him by faith. Amen. I want to turn back real quick. You can stay with there. I want to go look over here and look into something. If I don't have it. Um, paper clipped down. I have my wedding sermon paper clipped in my Bible because I'm going to do a wedding actually. <laughs> but it doesn't have Isaiah down so there we go Isaiah 54 verses 9 and 10 listen to this this is like the days of Noah to me as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and I will not rebuke you for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed. Says the Lord with his, who, was, who has compassion on you. The war is over with God. We had enmity between us and God after the fall of man. 
And God passed out some pretty heavy judgment under the law for 1,500 years prior to Jesus coming back. But the worst judgment he ever put down or passed down on anyone was on his very own son on the cross. He exhausted his judgment on Jesus. Jesus became sin. So for us to continue to fight a battle, to try to win favor with someone who has already granted favor to us, granted mercy to us, granted peace to us, is really kicking against the goads. And I just want to encourage everyone to really, really endeavor to enter into His rest this Christmas. Because God is not mad at you anymore. He's not even in a bad mood. He has made a way where there was none for you to be at peace with Him and to be free from the power of sin in your life. Now, by the grace of God, you have the power to be and to do everything that God has called you to. Amen. He rejoices every time you are encouraged and you choose faith over fear. And he is just looking for opportunities to say, look at my girl, look at my boy. In the face of adversity, with the waters and the storms of life raging all around them, they chose to believe me. He inhabits the praise of his people. You know who inhabits the negativity of God's people? The other team. The losers. He's got no place in our Christmas story, does he? Well, don't let him have one in yours. I want to mention something else from Matthew chapter 10. Because I love that the, this, the angels came and said, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I want to expound on that just for a minute so that we're clear. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. There we go. Let's see. This is Jesus speaking. And he said, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Wow, that's, uh, that's heavy. Is he saying that he wants you, a mother, to be against her daughter? No. no, of course not. God is love. What he's saying, though, just so we're clear, is that God did not, by sending Jesus to the earth, did not send Jesus to bring peace between men, but peace between man and God. Amen? Our sin is paid for by Jesus. The Lord would love nothing more than for everyone to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth, to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and to walk in that truth. And we don't know who will, so that's why we try everybody. We're going to keep on trying. But for anyone who has a mind of a this sort of a one world government, a globalism and all the same and all going to the same place, no matter what your decision regarding the son of God, that's wrong. And it will only lead you to a lot of shipwreck, wrong mindedness, which brings ushers in opportunity for the enemy. One world government is, is in opposition to God. And this universalism where everybody's okay, we're all going to go, you know, if Jesus works for you, that's good. But if this works for you, that's okay too. As long as you're good you, or in some degree or, what, or another, you're all going to go to the light and there's no literal hell. That's all heresy. Yeah. That's all heresy. <clears throat> While we don't preach a lot about Hell and hellfire and brimstone. It's real. <laughs> it's real. And it's only just because when you consider the fact that God Himself stepped down from His throne and wrapped Himself in a baby's flesh. And was put into a feeding trough to make a way for us and to live a perfect life, a sinless life for us, so that He could be the only one able to be that Lamb of God with unblemished Lamb of God, we might add. <coughs> And still go through with it. He was tempted in every way. Just like us. Remember that. Father if there's any way. (laughs) Take this cup from me. (laughs) This is too much. He was sweating blood. His heart was broken. His heart was broken. I'm convinced of that. To see the creation that he loved so much 
Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed. He loved us so much that he came to do this and to see the creation that he loved and was prepared to die for it. So filled with hatefulness and ugliness to spit on him and torture him and mock him and kill him. I know his heart was broken. But he went through with it. It's encouraging because I want you to know that your thought that all sin begins with a thought. So we need to understand that we can control our thought life. Most Christians don't want to take responsibility. I can't help what I think. Yes, you can. Your sin nature is gone. You, those birds will fly over your head, but you don't have to let them make a nest there. Our daughter said yesterday, I want a cat so bad. And I make fun of her because she loves animals and too much sometimes. And I'm like, oh. I said, you can't get rid of those negative thoughts by trying to. You have to replace them with something better. <laughs> but that's the truth regarding our thoughts. Amen. But Jesus was tempted. Our thoughts are not sin. Don't be so introspective about every little thing in your life. We all go that way sometimes, especially the more we try to live for God. Because we get down to a place where we're really, you know, we kind of get get all the overt things out of our life and cleaned up. And then I think I talk about it all the time. We're struggling up here. The battlefield is between our ears, you know. You know, just get me out on the road for a little while, you know. And that's what I, I joke about because that's a good example of things that we need to, you know, you get so mad at somebody and it's, oh, you know, and then God will say, you know, I love that person. You know, I love you too. And you know, the difference is, you know, I love you. You have me. They don't. And, and when you allow your mind, your thoughts to go to the Lord. Instead, I had a situation like this and uh, yesterday, <laughs> and uh, someone did me very wrong. It's a, it's a, you know, when when someone is basically stealing from you and your family uh, in a big way, you know, it's uh, it's easy to get very upset. And uh, there was a time in my life, well, the old man, the dead man, would have done something very drastic and painful <laughs> and I don't mean to laugh about that because it's not funny but the new man had those same thoughts suppressed them and got away from the situation came back and was toned down but still was going to handle it you know in a way that would not be violent or anything, but would deal with it strictly and strongly and and make the flesh feel a little better too. Amen. Suppress that. Oh. Yeah. Went back to God. And after a few hours, he gave me the perfect window of opportunity 
the perfect way to handle it, the perfect way to cast my cares on Him and trust Him with it instead of me. And I think that it improved my life immensely. And I know it did those that received the mercy from me. You know, God's way is perfect. And when you choose God, when I tell it all the time, the moment you agree with God, your life improves. And you can do this in every area, every choice, every decision, every day. And you watch. You will, you will begin to feel the anointing when you press in and you go further than most people in the flesh would ever expect you to. In other words, you might go from, you might start out here where people say, now that's a little crazy. Then, but if you go to right about here, people say, well, you're justified. I would, you know, you don't have to put up with that. You can, I would have done the same, you know, and you usually that's right about where people get off. But if you go this far, still hurts. Now you really lose it. You feel like you've lost. You feel like you've been really giving up a lot. Somewhere over there, there's a supernatural anointing, a presence the Holy Spirit comes in and strengthens you and makes you. It's the, it's that's when the supernatural takes over. And there's something very. I use the word magical. It's not magical, but I use that word because that's a that's a nice phrase. It's magical. It's it's wonderful. It's supernatural, and you're aware that it's not you that you've allowed God to win. You've allowed God to fight your battle. And it becomes a beautiful thing. A perfect thing. And you're like, no one could have even written a scenario where this came out this way. It's so beautiful. It's so perfect. And it has to be Him. And it is. Because basically you trusted Him with it. And that's how He wants us to be with every part of our life. Amen? But the peace... Between us and God has been won by Jesus. So we don't have to continue fighting that battle, struggling, wondering if God is mad at us, if He if we're good enough, if we're accepted by Him. That's all been established. And the sooner we come to know it, the better. I tell you we have a beautiful manger scene in our front yard. It was Tabana's mother's and we put it up every year and and uh, it stands about this tall. All the characters I have their own shelf in our garage, you know. And uh, and we love that, you know, because you drive around, look at Christmas lights, which we all like to do, and you just don't see as much. Uh, I just I just I choose to just think of every light as uh, some, uh, someone's symbol of faith in Christ, and because it's easy to start recognizing there's nothing. Nothing honoring God. You know, I see a lot of Snoopy and this and that and the other, but I don't see anything. You know what I mean? So we, we just, that's our choice. We like to put the manger scene up. Because Jesus did come as a baby. But I think it's important to remember that we can't leave Jesus in the manger scene. When we think of Jesus... 
it's important that we not think of him as a little baby, helpless in a manger. He, he grew up, didn't he? He grew up and we just been expounding on the wonderful things, the life that he lived, the sacrifice that he made for us, the gospel. He became a grown man and he did die on a cross. And he ascended to heaven. But you know, he's coming back. He's coming back as a conquering king. Not as a sacrificial lamb. King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's going to come and he's going to rule this world. And he's going to judge men according to the decisions they made regarding him in this life. And I can't wait. Amen. I can't wait. But the final point that I'm making just is that. Don't don't let him remain a helpless baby in the manger in your mind and heart. See him as he is and let him take his rightful place as king in your heart and mind this Christmas. He is mighty. And meek. And I love that about God. The humility and the meekness of God to come in that form, in that place, in that way. It's awesome. The meekness of God is not weakness. And men need to recognize this characteristic trait of Him as well. Because meekness is not weakness, it's power under control. I describe it like a, I don't know how many. Hundreds of tons, a giant jumbo jet airliner weighs. But to see one lightly touch down on the tarmac, mm-hmm. that's power under control. And that's, that's Jesus. And he lives inside of you and he wants to everybody to see him. Just like that example I gave you about the, the situational uh, problem yesterday. He, he, he was allowed to be seen. He wants to be seen. He wants to be heard through you to others. Sometimes you're the only Christ they'll ever see. And more and more you look around, even at Christmas time in our culture, you don't see a lot of Jesus. That's because he can't be seen in, a, in an animated yard scene. He can only really be seen through you or me. There are people out there who really, really need him. I have friends that are very hard to get in touch with sometimes because they minister all over the world. And I'm so happy for them and I pray for their ministries and we support them. But I always tell Tavana, God called me to Texas. This is a great field of harvest all around us. And there's a lot of work to do. The harvest is ripe and plentiful, but the workers are few. So I would ask that you engage with me this Christmas uh, in the prayer that he asked us to do and ask God to send workers into the harvest field. We need workers here. We need, we need people who will come and join with us as a family in this little church and, uh, and uh, be prepared to 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 serve here and to worship here and to grow. And I think, uh, 
I think we have a good year ahead of us. Amen. Amen. So let's see. The next Sunday is going to be, is that New Year's Eve? Well, let's finish up here. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful day that you've given us. Lord, I'm blessed by this message that you've given us today and and by all the wonderful things that you are birthing in the hearts and minds of your children. Lord, I ask that this message has the same effect on those who hear it in, in London and in in Japan and in uh, California. We see you out there and uh, and all over the country and all over the world, those who will hear this message. We just want to say Merry Christmas to you from Texas and we love you and we're praying for you too. In Jesus' name, Father, we just ask that you protect this word, cause it to take root and bear fruit in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for the joy of Christmas. Thank you for sending your precious son and for the perfect plan of salvation that you have accomplished on our behalf. And we thank you that we have peace with you now through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.